Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm going to be one of your hosts today, Chris Williams, and it's official, the Bundesliga is returning. And by the magic of technology, that could either be in four days or four hours, depending on when you're listening. If it is four hours, lucky you. Now, if this is the first time you've ever listened to us, welcome aboard. But those who've been with us for the last few years will know that this isn't the usual voice that introduces the pod. But don't worry, Bryce Dunn hasn't ruptured his calf from taking a goal kick, nor has he dropped a bottle of aftershave on his foot, ruling him out of action. He's just away today, which is a massive shame for him because it's the most exciting time of the year. Um, and joining me today, of course, is my esteemed colleague, the creator of the Football Grad Network and Bundesliga journalist for Forbes, Manuel Baith. Manu, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? We are recording slightly different time here. Um, I've run out of coffee. Um, so I'm not as sharp as I would normally be, but it's probably enough about my um, early morning drugs habit because I'm delighted to say that we have a very special guest. Um, you'll recognise his voice immediately as the voice of the Bundesliga, the man behind the mic on every match day across the globe, as well as powering the World Cup, occasionally ousting the wonderful Rebecca Lowe from the NBC Sports Premier League chair, and the man who I hear pretty much every day as my son whips me on FIFA 19, soon to be 20. It is, of course, international football commentator Derek Ray. Derek, thank you for joining us here today, and how are you? Well, first of all, Chris, I'm very well. Thank you very much for that introduction. And um, yes, everything going very well here in Germany. I'm talking to you from the great city of Köln as we get ready for another Bundesliga season. So it's a delight to be with the pair of you. Well, as I say, thank you very much for joining us. And um, I know, Manu, you've been, um, I'm going to say, stalking Derek for quite a while to get him on. I, I was just going to say that. <laughs> I feel like over the last four or five months, Derek, we've been hanging out in various places from yep. uh, relegation playoffs in Stuttgart to German Cup finals in Berlin to the Women's World Cup in Nice. Um, and then, of course, last weekend, the DFL Super Cup in Dortmund. And we've been chatting about getting you on this entire time. And I'm so glad we finally managed to do it. No, well, I'm delighted that we found the slot as well, but but it's true. I remember I was frantically scribbling my notes in Nice ahead of one of the Women's World Cup matches in the stadium there, Sweden, I think it was, mm -hmm. uh, and Sweden-Thailand, wasn't it, on that Sunday? 
And all of a sudden, there's a tap on my shoulder, and I said, "Oh, it's it's Manu, who I well, I only had seen a couple of weeks before at the at the relegation playoff." And uh, as you said, yeah, we were together again for the the uh, DFL Super Cup. So um, so on we go in this in the small world of football, and, and it really is when you think about um, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about this last weekend, and then of course the upcoming weekend, the big curtain raiser. Yep, so many things, I think, for us to focus on. And it's always an exciting time of year. I mean, I particularly like the fact that in Germany you have the Super Cup and then you have the DFA Pokal uh, with the uh, the smaller teams hosting the bigger teams who are not yet in form. And we get shocks and surprises. People talk about the magic of the FA Cup. For me, that's gone uh, in comparison with the first round of the DFA Pokal. But yes, yeah, that's just one of many things I'm sure we're going to get to. Uh, that is probably, Derek, the best place to start because um, although the Bundesliga season starts this coming weekend, as we record this now, um, the curtain raiser was the Super Cup and then we're straight into um, the, the German Cup, which occasionally throws up a few surprises. Last season, the champions Eintracht Frankfurt were knocked out by Ulm, um, losing 2-1. And we've had a couple of surprises again, um, maybe not as many as, as we'd like to think. Um, but Dortmund started off the proceedings on Friday night by winning their game 2-0, um, which I think was a decent result overall. But there was some fantastic results. Um, I think maybe, Manu, we should probably just have a little quick word about Kaiserslautern. Yeah, we should. You know, and that is a local derby, Kaiserslautern against Mainz. And um, when I was a kid growing up in Germany, Mainz were the little boys, and Kaiserslautern, of course, one of the biggest names in German football. And... Uh, for one, I guess for one afternoon, the, the roles were reversed once again with Kaiserslautern stealing the show and advancing. Um, and I mean, again, 10, 15 years ago, that would have been the most normal thing in the world. But unfortunately, Kaiserslautern are not what they used to be. Um, but they got the result there. I have a soft spot for the Red Devils. Um, I do. Um, I'm, I grew up as an 1860 fan. We have a close fan friendship with Kaiserslautern and the Betzenberg used to be one of my favorite stadiums um, to watch games at, and the atmosphere has always been incredible. So I hope maybe this will kickstart um, a much better era for them. Derek, any surprises for you there that Mainz were um, dumped out by Kaiserslautern? In a funny kind of way, no. And I say that because uh, when you look at a, a tie like that, and, and I was going through all the games on Saturday, uh, and I thought to myself, Kaiserslautern at the Betzenberg, that's going to be a difficult proposition for, as I said earlier, a Bundesliga side not yet in competitive form. And of course, the teams from lower down the divisions have this advantage of having already played a few matches. You know, if you're a third division side, you've already played four games um, ahead of the cup tie for a second division team, a couple of games. So it's an advantage there. And I, I sort of had a, had a sixth sense that that might be where one of the upsets um, would fall. And then, of course, we also saw uh, Augsburg go down away to SC Ferl, a team from the fourth tier, from the Regional Liga West. And that's another one that, again, you sort of think, OK, well, the, the, the power of the Bundesliga side should get them through. The technical quality should get them through. But it doesn't always happen that way. And Saturday really was was all about these two surprises on the back of, you know, two big surprises the season before um, involving Frankfurt uh, and Stuttgart. So uh, this always happens. And, and um, I think it's, it's only a question of how many upsets you get in the uh, in the, the opening round of the day at Bay Pokal. You mentioned Dortmund there. I did watch all of their game on Friday night. And um, 
they weren't brilliant, to be honest, against Uerdingen. Not that you have to be it again in the first round of the Cup. But I thought in the first half it was a bit pedestrian. It was better in the second half. There was one interesting incident, though. Um, and I'm talking about the, the opening goal of the game because it was scored by Marco Reus. And it was a ball that was played in by Manuel Akanji. And at first glance, it looked like a good goal, but it was only on the sort of the fourth or fifth replay when it was frozen that you actually saw that it was handballed by, by Royce. And under the new interpretation, the new law, any kind of handball around a goal, whether it's deliberate or not, means no goal. But there's no VAR in the cup, in the early rounds of the cup. So that was that. The referee's decision, obviously, on the pitch was the one we all would have made because you couldn't see it with the naked eye. But had we had VAR, that wouldn't have been a goal because of the new interpretation. So that was an interesting start. But, yes, and um, that is not the only game across Europe um, this uh, particular weekend where that rule has been um, or that law has been brought in. So yeah, I think it can be a shame sometimes if um, if the VAR isn't available, but maybe we're in a danger of getting maybe as VAR being a big crutch, but I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, I am glad that you mentioned um, both Mainz and Augsburg because of a feeling that when we talk about relegation um, candidates later on, they may um, feature in it. But I know you are at two... Uh, wonderful games this weekend, which um, I might start following you around for the Pokal because um, you saw a lot of lot of goals. Um, can you let our listeners know exactly <laughs> where you were this weekend and and how the the games replicated each other pretty much the same? Yeah, they were carbon copies of each other. The games that I commentated on on Saturday and on Sunday. So Saturday was Würzburger Kickers. Uh, from the third division against Hoffenheim. And I thought this was going to be really instructive because uh, first competitive match for Hoffenheim uh, under the new coach, Alfred Schroeder, the Dutchman, Julian Nagelsmann, of course, off to Leipzig. And, you know, a much weakened Hoffenheim. You know, it, it goes that way, doesn't it, when you lose players that they have lost and, and you know, quite significant subtractions, I think you'd have to say, from the the Hoffenheim point of view, when, when you don't have somebody like Kerem Demirbay anymore uh, or Nadim Amiri, who's, who's gone as well. And, um, and Nagelsmann, of course, you know, one of the, the most highly respected coaches in Germany, even though he's only been there for a short space of time, youthful coach that he is. But um, these two games, so Würzburg-Hoffenheim and then Wehen Wiesbaden, uh, promoted to the second division by means of a playoff at the end of last season against Köln, the winners of the second division, now back in the Bundesliga. And um, both games had this pattern. The, the Bundesliga side goes two up, and you think, OK, that's probably the game more or less done and dusted. But then the upstarts come back and make it 2-2. That happened both on Saturday and Sunday. Um, and then uh, it goes to extra time. Uh, the, the Bundesliga side makes it 3-2, and you think again, they're in the driving seat. But lo and behold, the, uh, the other team goes back and, um, and makes it 3-3. So that's what happened uh, both in Würzburg and in Wiesbaden, and it went to penalties. And um, again, carbon copy on Saturday. Hoffenheim won on penalties. Oliver Baumann made a couple of saves. On Sunday, Köln won on penalties. Timo Horn making three important saves, having uh, made a bad blunder earlier in the game. So, yeah, really bizarre, but um, I learned a lot more about Hoffenheim and Köln on the back of the weekend. Manu, we've spoken uh, a few times now, both on previous podcasts and privately, that we're a little slightly worried for Hoffenheim because of the players they've lost and also um, the manager of the head coach that they've lost. Um, can you see any 
um, replication of that in in this Pokal round, and also Cologne um, coming back up, needing to go to penalties. Is there any sort of danger signs in that for you? Yeah, I, I'm I'm still on the fence with Hoffenheim because for me they've made a lot a lot of changes, and it reminds me a little bit of what Frankfurt did right um, at the at last season. And then, of course, the, um, Frankfurt were absolutely crushed by Bayern in the Super Cup and then went out against Ulm and played a wonderful season. So, you know, early indications are that we don't quite know yet what we're going to get from Hoffenheim. I, I know you're very worried about the side, Chris, and I think you have some very valid points because new coach, um, a bunch of new players. And for me, the the big one, and as I, this is what I said last year, last week already, is... Um, Losing Joe Linton, I, if you get, what was it, 45 million euros for seven goals and seven assists, I think you have to take that kind of money, especially if you have Belvodil, Kramaric, um, still in your lineup. Up front, they're very strong. Um, I think the midfielders is a big worry, and I haven't really seen them do much other than Sebastian Rudy to replace that. And um, they could have a really difficult August, you know, and that game maybe highlights that. And, and Cologne, Derek, do you see, because I know you obviously spend a lot of time in Köln because that's the home um, of the Bundesliga broadcast studios. Do you see any problems for them or is this just uh, an indication of how strong the DFB Pokal can be at times? Um, I, I think it falls um, with both, really, that you've said there, Chris. I, I think that on the one hand, yes, this was a difficult test against you know, a good Vejen Wiesbaden team. Okay, they haven't started that well in the second division, but with, with games under their belt and who play attacking football at home, it was a big occasion for them. I think the worrying things for Kern were mostly defensive worries, and these would probably still be my worries as somebody who uh, was a bit of a Kern sympathiser. Um, yeah, they, they, they don't have the best central defence. They're hoping that that's going to get better with the addition of Sebastian Bonau, the, the Belgian who didn't play, having just joined the club. But I think he will play a lot more, probably to the exclusion of Rafael uh, Chicos, who, who, who I think is possibly not quite Bundesliga standards. Um, uh, Ehezi Bue, who played on the right-hand side, I liked him a lot in the first half. Uh, I think in the second half, he, he had more questions to answer. So, you know, we'll, we'll watch to see how he does. The one who I thought was really good of the newcomers for Kern was uh, Birke Verstrate, uh, playing in the centre of midfields and very confident on the ball. Um, actually scored the winning penalty in the shootout, had the presence of mind to, to finish that coolly. Uh, so I thought he did very well. Um, I, I think that um, what's going to be interesting with Kern is to see how good a fit the new coach, Achim Bayerlotza, is. Now, I watched a couple of his games last season uh, in person when he was in charge of Jan Regensburg. And the style is quite sort of Leipzig-influenced. He was there uh, on the coaching staff at Leipzig for three years and, and wants that style of play ultimately. It might take a bit of time uh, with Kern, uh, probably a back four mostly for them, maybe 4-4-2 four, four, for the most part. And, of course, they do have strikers, you know, when you've got people like John Cordoba, Anthony Modest, Simon Terode perhaps off the bench, then you have goals in your team. Um, but I, I still think the questions will be at the back for Kern. Um, and what I would say about them this season, guys, is that the start that they have to make is devilishly difficult. So they've got Wolfsburg away, and that's no picnic. They've got Dortmund at home. They've also, in the first seven weeks, got Bayern, Gladbach, and Schalke. Schalke may not be 
a force to be reckoned with, but still it's it's a big club that Cullen have got to go and play in, in that opening seven-week period. So I think if they if they get six points from those seven games, I think they're doing quite well. It's going to be a difficult beginning for, for Cullen. Yeah, and I think everybody will welcome them back to the league in hopes that they um, don't make the same start they made, unfortunately, when they went down, where they really couldn't buy um, a victory for love no money un- until, I think, round about the, the mid-season point, which is generally not good enough to survive. Um, but the Pokal did also give some indications about teams that may have strengthened a little bit. One you mentioned there was, was Schalke, um, now under David Wagner, who I thought had a very good result. Um, Union Berlin came up. Um, I'm lucky enough to be there this coming weekend. They put six past um, their side they were faced up against. Um, but... It all ended last night, as we record this, um, away for Bayern Munich uh, Energy Cottbus, who um, are a very, very young side. And maybe the 3-1 scoreline didn't really reflect the game for them, Manu. Um, and maybe also it didn't reflect the game for Bayern. Yeah, I actually, it's it's odd to say that Bayern played played well against the side like Energy Cottbus. I mean, we all expected that they would um would walk away with a victory there. Um, I think a Pokal, Pokal shock at this point um, would be a massive surprise. But at the same time, I think there was a lot of positives in, in Niko Kovac's play. Um, one of the things that Lothar Matthäus told me over the weekend when I was over in, in Dortmund is that they want to play a lot of overlapping runs, a lot of attacking plays. And you, you saw a bit more of that, that 4-3-3, right? And you also saw Renato Sanchez picking up that midfield role. This was a player, a, a role that they were in the market for this summer. And they, they tried to get Rodrigo White, who went to Manchester City instead. So um, for me, Renato Sanchez at the ICC, Chris, we both covered the ICC in depth um, this summer and going to cover it going forward. And I, I thought Renato Sanchez was the took the most out of that competition and um, really established himself as a central midfielder. And if he can preserve what he showed at the ICC and at this cup match, I don't think he was actually very good in the DFL Super Cup because he played out of role, but I think he was very good in the game tonight or last night. And um, I think that's a very good positive. The win is a positive. Should have probably been more goals for Bayern, but at the same time... um, and I think Cottbus were very good going forward. They did get their goal in the very end through a penalty. But they also, you know, when they did press forward, when they did play that quick transition game in midfield, Bayern were certainly vulnerable. And that's exactly what we've seen from um, them in the Super Cup too. They were actually good in the Super Cup as well. It's just that Dortmund hit them where it hurt the most. And when I think that is something that we saw already at times last year. We thought the new defenders would maybe fix that problem. But I think that vulnerability is still very much there. Derek, do you see any problems or can you anticipate any problems for Nico Kovac's Bayern München there on the back of this game against Energy Cottbus? Because as Manu says, last season particularly, Bayern looked a little bit vulnerable to a high-pressing side, a team that maybe could transition the ball quickly, get in behind very quickly. We all just have to go back to that um, Champions League quarter-final uh, game against Liverpool in the Allianz to see that um, Hertha Berlin um, destroyed them almost away in the Olympiastadion. Is there any hangover left for that for you? Well, I think it's something we'll be watching for on Friday when Bayern hosts Hertha. I always think it's a different equation at the Allianz Arena in comparison with going 
away from home when a team like Hertha might feel emboldened. Um, just getting back to Energy Cottbus, I mean, I thought it was a terrific game to watch on, on TV, on over-the-air TV here in Germany on Aya Day. Um, so a lot of people will have watched that game last night. And, you know, full stadium in Cottbus, a very young, vibrant team that they had uh, lined up for that match. And, you know, it was a good test for Bayern, uh, and, and they came through it very well. And I like the style of football in this match. And this is the thing that um, a lot of judgments have been made about Bayern, I think, in the last few weeks. A lot of people saying, oh, it's not going to be their season. They don't have the formula right. Dortmund are better. Uh, no, it may well be the case that that, that um, is what happens. But I think you've, the, the default position for me is still that Bayern are the favourites going into this Bundesliga campaign because I still think they have the quality uh, I still think that, yes, there are some loose ends to be tied up. That goes without saying. Uh, and, and positions uh, to be solidified, particularly on the flanks. Uh, but I, I think that Bayern still can excel. And, and it would not surprise me if they, they win the, the Meisterschale for the eighth year running. Uh, but I, I think what they have to sort out in, in their minds is... Uh, you know, who do they want to, to really be playing in those wide positions? And uh, it's going to come down to second choices now, I think. And that, that's quite clear. Uh, the, the Leroy Zane thing is, is, is a mess from the Bayern point of view when you consider how it's played itself out. But, um, you know, aside from, from who they get in those positions, and that will be important, you know, they still have Lewandowski, who's, who's going to score 20-plus goals. They still have Thomas Müller, who I think is sometimes overlooked and taken for granted a bit in terms of what he can actually do. They still have Thiago, who is the ball magnet and, and somebody who can make other players around him better. They have Renato Sanchez, who, uh, interestingly, was going to, uh, I think, leave the club. I think that was that was the, the, the position maybe two months ago, maybe, maybe even a month ago. But all of a sudden, they've had a rethink on that. And um, as Manu says, it's a question of, of getting him in the right position. So there will be times when they'll be tested, no doubt about it. And I think that maybe the overall all level of competition will be slightly better uh, uh, in, in matches against Bayern this season. But I've still got them as my favourites um, beginning the campaign when it does get underway on, on Friday against Hertha. Derek, thank you. You have brought us beautifully on um, to where I wanted to go next, which was um, how will Bayern get on? Um, Manu, do you think that they've strengthened enough? Um, and what what can we take from the Leroy Sane? And I think we can call it a saga, can't we? Is it a saga or a disaster? <laughs> it's probably well. I think it depends on what day, um, what day you read it, and and what type of news you read it. But yeah, it's not been the best. Um, uh, we've spoken about this. We've got a lot of buying listeners, obviously, um, we've a lot of listeners in the states, um, and I've spoken to them, interacted with them on the likes of Twitter, and and they seem a little worried, but. Every question seems to revolve about Leroy Sané. Well, this is what I know about the Leroy Sané transfer saga, let's call it that. And first of all, I think it's a real shame that he suffered this injury at this point of his career because he's a magnificent player and bottom line is the health of a player, right? Uh, ACL injury is is a big injury. Um, he's not only going to be... Mm, not going to be not available for Man City or potentially Bayern, but also not available for the German national team. And that's a real shame. Um, as for the transfer saga, from what I understand, from what I pieced together, is that Leroy Sané had accepted the 
offer that Bayern had made to him. Um, this was not a hippie hooray, I'm coming to Bayern kind of agreement. It was like this financial deal is too good to turn down. We're talking about sums of money that are far above and beyond what most players earn in his age anywhere in the world. Um, it's a lot of money. Um, so he agreed to this deal, but he was not going to force a deal away from Man City. Um, Bayern would have to still agree terms with Man City. Bayern, through the grapevine, heard from Pep Guardiola that if a player is willing to leave the club, he will not put stones in the way of the player, right? Man City said 150 million euros. Bayern were more confident that the deal would be done by a lot less. They thought 105 plus a bunch of bonuses. And I, I think that is probably what would have happened if Sunny hadn't played on Sunday in that FA Community Shield um, and t twisted his knee. Um, and from that, it all kind of unraveled. Bayern are still not sure if they're still going to pursue the deal anyways. Um, they think that he might come back in February, March. It's a big chunk of the season. Chris and you and I have talked off air that that's basically a pointless transfer. You might as well just wait till next year, right, when he might even be cheaper. Um, but it also means that you will have to now all of a sudden sign players. I was, um, I had Robert Lewandowski on on my, I have his voice still on my cell phone because I spoke to him about this and he said, we need three to four more new players because this squad is very thin. They have 18 field players at the moment only, that's it, right? And there's talk now that Fita Up could go out, of, go out on, on loan, so that would bring it down to 17. That's not a lot of players for three competitions. So even Perisic comes in, that deal is done. Um, he's going to sign on a one-year loan to buy a deal. And I think that is that is very much an indication for me that they, A, are going to do something else, um, and B, that they still want to sign Sané, if not now, maybe in the winter or next summer. Um, because that Perisic deal, I, I'm actually curious what, what you think, Derek, but for me, that even Perisic deal screams short-term solution. Yeah, I mean, it's papering over the cracks, isn't it? I, I think, uh, you know, Perisic is somebody who can as we know, do a job at, at this level. But, um, you know, uh, they would not have been looking to sign him, I think, had everything else been in place, particularly with regard to Zane. Uh, and the one thing I would say, and I'd be interested to get the views of both of you on this, uh, I, I think Bayern, where they've made the mistake this summer, has been in being far too public about everything. And I know there's been crit criticism externally about that, and even... Internally, even they've said themselves, even Kader Rummenigge has said, you know, maybe we need to to not make as much noise. But but it, it is often the Bayern way when it comes to these things, and they're used to getting their way. So so maybe it's understandable. But I think an awful lot of this was was carried out in public too much, and uh, you know perhaps that's something that will change in the future. But I think yeah, I mean Perisic um, uh, is somebody who who you know can be a match winner, can be very good. Um, you know, can clearly trouble opposing defences, but uh, would not have been the first choice. Now, as you said, they'll they'll probably go back in again. And the question is, you know, who is the other target? Who else are they looking at? We've seen Gareth Bale's name mentioned. Again, you'd be talking about astronomical wages. And uh, again, would that be what Bayern would have done originally? I, I don't think so. Um, so it, it's wait and see. It's really intriguing to see what they are going to do. But um, I, I echo what you said about Zane because... I must say, I was really looking forward to seeing Zane playing in the Bundesliga, playing every week. I love him as a footballer. At Manchester City, 
he's he's just one of many. You know, he, he's one of many who might get into the side, might not. And then he goes and twists his knee, and it's obviously a big blow for Germany in a in a year leading up to the Euros too. So it, it's lose lose for everybody on that front. Uh, and um, uh, time will tell if Bayern come back in for him under different terms. I, I, yeah, I think so. I, I think Manu, you're about to say what I am about to say. I'm assuming this. Um, but I think Bayern have have done their business publicly, and it's it's escaped them again because this Leroy Sane chase was was a replication of the Callum Hudson Odoi chase, which annoyed Chelsea. Um, Manchester City, I don't think they were particularly happy with the public pursuit of their player. Um, Pep Guardiola obviously wasn't because I don't think there is any other reason to play um, a player who is in negotiations with another club in a, in a in a really big game. Which you know the Community Shield in in England is is the same as the Super Cup. It's the meeting of the two biggest teams in England, and I think that was a, a marker put down by Pep Guardiola that saying Leroy Sané is my player. Um, he made a point of speaking in the pre-match press conference to say that a, a player of Leroy Sané's quality would not leave without asking to leave. So that gives you an indication that there was no correspondence between maybe the player and, and Manchester City, but there certainly was behind the scenes, which makes a very interesting article that I read the other day in, in The Athletic, um, where um, one of their journalists spoke to um, unnamed um, chairman who said that why would you want to speak to another club until you know that the player wants to come, um, which is, of course, highly illegal, um, but something that now we've got written down on paper that exists. Yeah, I think it, everyone knows that you come to terms with the player first before you go and offer X million euros to um, sign a player. Um, you know, maybe that's a flaw in the, in the transfer system, but, you know, Bayern knew that Sunny would agree to the terms uh that they would offer him after they had agreed a deal with Man City. Um, you know, how do you find this out? Well, we all know how you find it out. You talk to the player, right? Um, it's really interesting, though, how Bayern are now scrambling after this public disaster, because it is a public disaster, because they made it so public. And I think I agree with both of you, because they, they were so loud and vocal about these transfers and then tried to shut everyone up when it, when it came close to it actually being done, right? Players being told not to say certain things and all giving the same statements and the microphone, etc. Karl-Heinz Rummenigge shushing um, Niko Kovac. It was quite funny, actually. But where do you go from here? Because even if you sign Perisic, you squat all of a sudden as 19 field players. That's still not an awful lot. I, I feel like this, you need to sign another player. And the name that I've heard, and um, I almost want to put my hands over my head, is Felipe Cortino. Now... Chris, you know him a lot better than I do, but for me, that's the same player that they had already in Hummus, who they could have just signed, but Kovac didn't like him. So why would the Bayern board think that they, he would like Coutinho? Maybe yeah. I'm just reading this completely wrong, but that's yeah. just my interpretation of the entire thing. It is a strange one, um, but I did read, it was either uh, early this morning or late last night, that um, Christian Falk um, has... Uh, has as as rubbish that story. Um, so maybe Felipe Coutinho isn't on his way to um, Bayern Munich. But yeah, that would be a very strange um, signing, especially as James Rodriguez didn't fit. Um, and I don't know about you, Derek, but I've got the feeling that 
this Bayern side, whilst they are good on their starting eleven, if anything happens uh, to Robert Lewandowski, uh, where are those goals? Where are those important goals going to come from? Like like he scored last night to get the game going. Um, where can you see those goals coming from? Well, I think this has been the sort of the risk that Bayern have have had within their ranks for a while now is that there is a an over reliance on Lewandowski, but he is remarkably durable. I mean, he's one of these players who who doesn't seem to miss matches and, and is always there, certainly most of the time there when, when they need him. And, and the backup, really, in terms of having somebody else to play that position in, in recent years has been Thomas Müller. Uh, and, and I suppose that would be the, the backup again at the moment, given that um, someone like Fita Arp, uh, who Manu mentioned, is not quite ready. And you know the indications were that, um, that Bayern wanted to loan him out, as they've often done with their young players over the years, going all the way back to somebody like Philipp Lahm when he went to Stuttgart. Uh, that's often the Bayern way, rather than having a player like that uh, kicking his heels on the bench, or sometimes not even on the bench. But um, but but it's something that they do need to to, to, to look at, and and I totally agree. Uh, and and it, this is what struck me when um, when I you know went down the teams for the the Super Cup, um, and looking at the Bayern bench, it was thin and it was young. Uh, I, I mean, there was there was very little in the way of experience on that bench, and uh, it was almost as though. You had to ask the question, you know, what's going on with the squad planning? What, what have they done here that's not quite right? So uh, so they still have time to, to try to get that sorted. But um, we're sort of running out of time. And I go back to what Udi Hernes said. Uh, I remember just doing some homework before the, the Super Cup in middle of um, July. Uh, Udi Hernes said, no, it's OK. You know, it doesn't really matter about the squad right now. The, the most important thing is that we have the squad in place by the time of the Super Cup. And of course, they didn't have the squad in place by the time of the Super Cup, and they don't have the squad in place as we talk now, um, just a few days ahead of the the Bundesliga start. So, so there are questions here that Bayern have to answer. Uh, I just have a feeling somehow that they will answer them, um, whether it's completely now or whether it's also in winter. And they might have to do a bit of business in winter, certainly if they have designs on winning three competitions, although that's going to be extremely difficult once again. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, it's certainly uh, the club to watch between now and the end of the, the transfer window. Maybe the one last thing I want to add on Bayern, Derek. Um, I was in Germany in February yeah. when Uli Hoeneß gave that famous interview on Doppelpass that, where he said, and I quote, if you guys would know who we have already signed, then famous names that we've already signed and that will all arrive just in time for this for this new season. <laughs> yeah. Just just a friendly reminder. Um, you know, the, the two names are Pavard and Hernandez, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, it's um yeah, it's almost fun covering Bayern, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Bayern obviously, um we think might face a more stern test this coming season um, from Dortmund, who everybody who listens will know were um, a mixture of unlucky and naive not to win um, the Meisterschale last season. But they've been, um, I'm going to say, in the transfer market. Well, they haven't really been in the transfer market for some time because they do all their business so early. But um, Manu, do you think that they've done enough? Derek mentioned earlier that he thinks Bayern still have that capability and that winning mentality to go on and, and get that eighth title in a run. Um, do you think now, though, it's time for Dortmund to put everything on the line and, and maybe steal that um, shield back for a season? 
Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. And with new series, episodes, movies, and fresh content arriving every week, AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I think that they have done enough. To, to give, I mean, I think if the, they had had some of the players that they have now last season, they would have won the title. And um, I don't see Bayern being significantly better than what they were last year. And I do see Dortmund that extra bit better. Now, does that mean automatically that Dortmund will win the title? No, because it's, it's Bayern are very good at being very consistent and in the league. They might have just enough, but you know they might have to sacrifice other competitions to win the league, um, and they might very well do that because I can't see them with this squad depth. I can't see Bayern go deep in the Champions League, and I can see actually Dortmund go deeper because they have a deeper squad, which they could hurt Dortmund, right? But I do think that Dortmund have done enough, and I think they have done it the right way. They did. They made all the signings, no noise, just got the man, boom, boom, boom. Remember when we when we talked about this in May, it was one signing after the other. And then they quickly went and got homeless on top of that. I mean, that's how you do your transfer business. You do it really quick. You do it efficient. You do it without any noise. Dortmund did their transfer business exactly the same way as Bayern used to. Quick, efficient, done. Derek, do you think that a side that has signed Mats Hummels, Thorgan Hazard, Nico Schultz, Julian Brandt, and then brought in Paco Alcacer finally on that um, permanent move, do you think they can this season... Um, take that Meisterschale back to the yellow wall? Oh, they certainly have a wonderful chance. Uh, there's no question about that. I think last season, you know, it was interesting. Towards the end of the season, there were one or two critical voices when it came to Dortmund saying, well, you know, they, they, the defence is too weak. The mentality is not quite there. I think it sort of almost happened before it's time for Dortmund last season. I think they got so close to Bayern really against all the odds and, and maybe against the grain of sort of how the two squads were last season. So I'm more inclined to give them credit for the, the run, the push that they made, you know, with a defence that wasn't perfect. And, and certainly, you know, you think about that game against Schalke, the Via Derby, when, uh, you know, that's certainly what cost them in, in that game. But they have addressed the, the needs and uh, getting Hummers back, I think, is absolutely perfect. I think he's going to be very motivated for the task at hand as well to go back and help out. Not that he's always perfect himself. You know, he is prone to the odd mistake from time to time. And we did see that actually as recently as Friday night in um, in Dusseldorf against Uerdingen when he totally switched off and, and almost um, resulted in a goal for the opposition. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that what they've done with the additions is, is fascinating and is also fabulous if you're a Borussia Dortmund fan. You know, Julian Brandt, 
I think is is the right player at the right time for making this move from Bayer Leverkusen. And, and I thought he played very well, particularly second half of the season um, at Bayer Leverkusen when, when Peter Bosch switched his position slightly. We'll see where he lines up um, with Borussia Dortmund on a regular basis. Torgan Hazard, again, another one who I think is, is going there at the right time in his career and is going to get plenty of, of game time. And, and Nico Schwartz, uh, you know, uh, somebody who I think is at the peak of his powers and just has got better and better these last couple of years, certainly improved his game at Hoffenheim, benefited from his couple of years there under Nagelsmann. And it's just all in place for Dortmund and um, Alcacer, as you said. One thing about Alcacer, I think that he will start a lot of matches this season. And I know that talking to a few people at Dortmund, the feeling last term was that he wasn't quite, maybe match fit is not the, the, the right term, but uh, you know, having, having come from Barcelona where he hadn't played very much, it sort of almost took him a year to properly get back up to speed uh, with being a, a player who did start every game, such as in his earlier days at Valencia. So uh, I think that Alcacer will start a lot. And, and it really is formidable with that sort of almost revolving door attack with, with Rice, with Goetze, with Brandt, with, with Azar, uh, with Sancho, who, you know, we haven't even mentioned him. So, um, yeah, I mean, when you look at it that way, it maybe sort of makes me think, you know, why am I... Uh, predicting that Bayern might win the Meisterschale again, but uh, I, I think it's going to be a terrific race and more power to uh, to everyone at, um, at Dortmund from Michael Zorc down in terms of what they've done during the summer. Well, you're not the only one that's tipped um, Bayern to win the title because Manu has, um, and our listeners will famously remember <laughs> that this time last year he tipped Bayern Leverkusen um, to win the title and that didn't go quite to plan, but um, of course, there's more than just two sides in the Bundesliga. Uh, there are 18 sides, um, and there are almost mini tables within that table. The fight for the European places, the fight for the top four, the fight for the top six. Who can get into that top seven if one of the um, Champions League big boys can win the Pokal? And then, of course, who is going to get into those bottom three places and avoid the 16th place, which, of course, is the relegation playoff hell which Stuttgart found um, last season, and Union Berlin will come in. But if we look at the teams around Dortmund and around Bayern, um, who do you think, I'm going to go to um, Derek first, I'll go to you first, who do you think is going to be the best of the rest? Now, obviously, we've got Leipzig with a new manager, um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, I've got a new manager, um, Hoffenheim have, um, I've got a new coach, sorry, head, they've all got new head coaches, and then Schalke have got... Um, David Wagner come in. Can you see them improving? Um, where is the key battles behind the top two going to exist for you this coming season? I think, Chris, the teams that I would be looking at would be once again Leipzig, who I think have the potential to be a strong third, actually to, to get quite close to the top two, as they did last season, really. I think we often forget that, but um, I, I think they are going to be even better uh, with Julian Nagelsmann, and the squad is deep. And, um, you know, rich in options, uh, I think. So uh, So for me, obviously, we don't know as we speak right now with Timo Werner what's going to happen to him. And, you know, clearly wants to join Bayern. But, you know, we'll see if he gets his way. But uh, I would say Leipzig. I would say Leverkusen. I would put them in fourth. I had my doubts about Bosch uh, based on what happened in Dortmund. And then uh, they sort of hit a bit of a bad run after a good run. And I began to think to myself, is this just the, the pattern with Peter Bosch? Does he give a team a, an early impetus and then does it become predictable for opponents? But, uh, you know, they, they managed to get fourth, having not been in the, the top four prior to the uh, last day of the season. 
So I, I would say in that order, and I'd be looking at Gladbach too, even though they've lost Torgan Azar, and uh, obviously they have a new coach in Marco Rosa, who I think will be more dynamic than Dieter Hecking. There was a feeling that, that they'd sort of just uh, you know, gone the wrong way with Hecking, that it was maybe a, a marriage that had um, uh, continued too long. Uh, and, then, and then also the other team I would be looking at might be Wolfsburg this season, who, uh, I, again, sort of get overlooked, but I think are in the discussion based on their overall personnel. And then, you know, to, to sort of sum it up, I'm, I'm looking at Frankfurt being weaker than they were. I'm looking at Hoffenheim being significantly weaker than they were. I've actually got them perhaps finishing down as low as 12th or 13th because I think that the, the turnaround there and, and bringing in the new coach out of necessity, I think there's going to be some upheaval there. And then the other one that you mentioned, Chris Schalke, I think it's going to be a, a bit of a holding season for uh, David Wagner. I, I think that they, I mean, the, the last season was, was desperate uh, towards the end, but of course they stayed up. I think they'll be a little bit better, but I think it's a long-term job that has to be done there. So I'm not looking at Schalke as we speak now, as being one of the European teams. Manu, for you, um, where do you lie? I mean, obviously, if we just look back at the final standings from last season, Bayern, um, Pippin Dortmund to the title by two points, and then behind it was Leipzig, Bayer Leverkusen, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Wolfsburg, who surprised everybody, especially me, because they'd been in the last two relegation playoffs. Um, and then, unfortunately... Um, well, unfortunately for us, as avid watchers of them over the season, Eintracht Frankfurt um, finished seventh, um, which they looked like Champions League contenders at one point. Um, do you see any change to that top seven um, this coming season? Is there anybody below that can break into that? No, I actually really don't. I mean, I th I actually not really that worried about Eintracht Frankfurt simply because what Freddy Bobic has done in the past. I think that they will actually do quite well. Um, maybe I'm just optimistic. Um, I'm worried about Hoffenheim a little bit too, um, just like you guys. Um, Schalke, I I just don't know what David Wagner can do in that first year with the tumultuous changes in his squad that, that can impact it enough for them to get back into Europe. I think it's going to be quite difficult. Um, I think what we could maybe see though is Leipzig challenging a bit more for the title than they did last year. Um, and the reason I'm saying this is because I think in central midfield, you know, in that in that hard area, um, they have possibly the strongest of all the of the top three sides. When you look at the talent that they have and the talent that they added, I mean, we're talking about a central midfield here that Tyler Adams, I mean, the American that we talked about off air, um, a player that I'm a big fan of, a player who didn't miss a step and went straight into Bundesliga and was maybe one of the best midfielders in the second half of the season. They added um, Nkungu from Paris Saint-Germain, big talent. Um, we know Thomas Varins watches League All a lot, and he's he's a big fan of him. And then, of course, they have Haidara. They have already had Kampel, Deme. I mean, that, that midfield is so much talent, and I, I feel that games are won in midfield, especially if you have a coach like Julian Nagelsmann. And when you when you look at the three top sides, Bayern, Dortmund, and um, Leipzig, then I feel almost that Leipzig have the, the strongest of the three in that regard. And maybe that will be enough to challenge a bit more for the title. I'm not saying Leipzig are going to win the title. I don't want to jinx them that badly. But I do think that, you know, they might be a lot closer than they were last year, and that would mean that we might have our three-horse three race for the title. Now, um, 
sometimes when teams finish mid-table, it's not really something that you should applaud or maybe you would see as a success. But um, Fortuna Dusseldorf, I thought, did remarkably well to finish um, mid-table last season. Safe for them. I think they're a great club that play um, some wonderful football. Derek, you obviously um, have worked with their sporting director on many occasions um, as co-commentator on games. Uh, were you pleased with Fortuna's results last season? And, and can you see them staying in the league? Because it's it's okay surviving, but it's all about that second year, isn't it? We've seen teams, Darmstadt, Ingolstadt, go down after a season. Stuttgart last season after a good um, season before. Can you see any problems for Fortuna Dusseldorf? Well, last season, this time last year, I made what I hoped was an educated guess. Having watched a little bit of Fortuna Düsseldorf and the Zweite Bundesliga, and that educated guess was that uh, Düsseldorf would stay up quite comfortably. So I got lucky on that one. Uh, I'm going to make the same prediction this season. And it's interesting, you mentioned Lutz Fahrenstiel. I was actually with him yesterday um, here in, in Köln and had a nice chat with him just about Fortuna's prospects. And I think he is a very good fit, Lutz Fahnenstiel, for this club in terms of how he wants things to operate. Remember, he came from the Hoffenheim system. He was really the, the, the talent scout at Hoffenheim who uh, you know, brought in players like Rhys Nelson uh, at the end of the, the window last year. He's got a very good eye for a player and for the sort of player who, who fits um, the bill for Fortuna Dusseldorf. And um, I think that uh, from top to bottom, they're, they're certainly not the best team in the Bundesliga. They wouldn't uh, try to think that they are. But uh, I think that with the right team concept, and um, they have in Friedhelm Funkel a very experienced coach, but uh, in, in knowing how to, to get the best out of the team, I think they, can, they, can, they could probably be 11th, 12th, 13th, somewhere in that position uh, and that sector of the table once again, they brought in Zach Steffen, the, um, the the young American goalkeeper, uh, on loan from City, and uh, I think he will play. You'll see him a lot. Uh, I, I think that again, it's not really a team without stars. The one star they had last season, of course, was uh, Luca Bacchio, Dodi Luca Bacchio, and uh, you know he is he is gone. So um, you know now at Hertha, we'll we'll see if that has an effect, but. Um, Benito Raman, of course, another one I, sh I should mention who's, who's gone. But I think that um, they're, they're adept at finding replacements. And uh, somebody like Eric Tommy, for example, I think could prosper there because he's a player with a bit of talent. He, he needs that self-belief. He'll probably get it um, in Dusseldorf with, uh, with Friedhelm Funker there and, and, and others around him. And I think they were one of the feel-good stories last season. And I think they will be again. Now, of course, um, we said goodbye to three teams, um, which was unusual because for the past few seasons, we've just said goodbye to two. But um, Nuremberg and Hanover were relegated automatically. Um, and unfortunately for them, playing some of the worst football that I've seen since Hanover were last relegated in the Bundesliga. And then, of course, we had um, a major upset um, for a change in Stuttgart, getting beat by Union Berlin. So we will see a return to the Bundesliga for FC Köln, um, for Paderborn, who had a wonderful um, ascent to the top division and then a pretty meteoric fall, but they've made themselves, uh, they've come back. Um, and of course, we'll have Union Berlin. So three good football insides. Um, Manu, can you see all three surviving or is it just going to be Köln? I think Köln have the biggest chance to survive because I can see a couple sides that were in the Bundesliga last year 
that I feel will struggle to stay in the league. Um, so Köln, I think, will survive. I think Union Berlin might surprise a few people. Um, you and I were both at the Alte First Reihe. It's a wonderful stadium, a difficult stadium to play at. And I think at home they're, they're going to be quite strong. Um, Paderborn, I love their story. I think it's one of the most magnificent football stories that we have seen over the last six, seven years in German football. You know, that that crashed down to the fourth division, being saved at the last day because 1860 went bankrupt, didn't get a license for the third division. Um, then they were saved and went up to the second division, went up back into the first division. Um, that's I think no one has ever seen anything like it in German football. And um, I think Kröschke, the, the former sporting director there, did a really good job putting together a team. There's a good reason why he's now the sporting director at Leipzig. And it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to do. But I think on balance and they notice they are not um, a Bundesliga side. They are a side that just happened to write this miracle story and get back into the league. So I think, unfortunately, they will go down. And then I, I look at Mainz and Augsburg. Those are two teams that, that worry me a little bit. Augsburg in particular. Um, I just don't see very much depth at that team um, to survive in the league this year. And Derek, is two teams that we mentioned earlier on um, in the Pokal review, um, Augsburg and Mainz, um, going out at the earliest stage possible. Um, do you worry for them this coming season? Um, last season, Schalke had a particularly poor season and Augsburg themselves can probably be thankful that the three teams below them were um, significantly poorer at times. Um, can you see Mainz and Augsburg being involved in that? Um, battle that nobody wants, the one for 16th? Or can you see them maybe even being candidates for 17th and 18th? I think they'll certainly be down there. Um, I've got Augsburg going down this season, and I think they might go down as the bottom club. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that I, I think it might just simply be their turn. Uh, I think they've probably overachieved a bit in recent years. Uh, they've made some good personnel decisions too. I mean, And I think uh, Stefan Reuter deserves all the credit for that. But I, I think this could be the season when they go down. Now, Mainz, we often doubt, and, and I think you know there are good reasons why. They are uh, a club that develops players, uh, sells those players on, and then tries to do it again. And eventually, um, you might struggle to go to that well. Uh, I think that Mainz will be okay. Um, I'm not going to say by much, but I think Mainz might, might save themselves. Augsburg, I think, are the team I would worry about of the sides who um, have been in the Bundesliga for a few years. I think it might be time for them to prepare for the, the Zweite Liga. With regard to the others uh, that you mentioned, Kern, I, I think, might be quite comfortable in the end. I think might be closer to mid-table than to the relegation positions. Um, Paderborn intrigued me because... Their style of play is uh, is a little bit unusual, a bit unorthodox. I mean, they're very much uh, about pace, about you know playing very fast, almost wild sort of football. And it's a question of whether you can get away with that in the top flight. I, I think there'll be some games where Paderborn will shock and surprise, whether they can put a consistent run together, whether they can get the points they need, I'm not so sure. So it would not surprise me if, if Paderborn do go down with Augsburg. And Union, I think that um, there's going to be that sort of you know, frisson of excitement, if you like, um, whenever they play at home. Uh, and, and it is a wonderful venue. Uh, and I, I think that there'll be points gathered just based on that alone. It might not be as pretty as Paderborn, um, but I could see Union perhaps being in the um, in the playoff position, and uh, wouldn't that be fun to, to have uh, Union in another playoff and uh, maybe another 
well, it wouldn't be a, a pitch invasion, would it? Because they would have the home advantage in the um, in the first leg, not in the second. But uh, yeah, that's how I would see it. Augsburg in most danger. Um, Union, Paderborn, probably down there. Kern to stay up. Mainz for me and Freiburg to have enough about them to um, to be to be just better than uh, than relegation candidates. And, and I'm glad you mentioned there Freiburg because um, under Christian Strike they have become almost a model for clubs um, that are promoted around them. They play very nice football. They play in a beautiful traditional stadium, not for that much longer, unfortunately. Um, but they've got a real local town club feel to them. Um, for you, Derek, are they maybe the the team that promoted sides have on a pedestal and, and aim to be because they've established themselves in the league now? It's not that long ago um, that they were even in the qualifiers for the Europa League. Are, are they a, a good, solid mid-table Bundesliga side that promoted sides can look at and go, yes, that's who we want to be like? Yeah, I think they do everything right for a club of, of their standing. And it's no accident that a lot of people I bump into sort of adopt Freiburg as, as a team to follow, even though they have no connections to the, the Black Forest area, to the southwest. But they sort of fall in love with the, the heart of the club. And, um, you know, it says everything that if Freiburg were to get relegated, and that's possible, but, um, you know, they, they tend to, to do enough to, to stay above water. If they were to get relegated, then Christian Streich would not be sacked. Christian Streich would stay on, and as he did a few years ago, would be given the chance to, to lead them back into the top division. And you get the feeling that even if, they, if he failed to do that, that he would stay on as coach there as well. And they're all about um, players from the local area as much as possible. They've, they've always done a very good job of bringing through players. I always look at the, the squad lists at the start of the season, and invariably you've got players from, uh, you know, from communities very close to Freiburg or you know in the Schwarzwald. And uh, you know that is a recognition of, of what they are about, about the DNA of the club, and they are about community and about about doing things on that basis. But um, I, I think that in the fullness of time, and he's already greatly respected, but I think Christian Streich is one of the, for me, one of the top three or four coaches in the Bundesliga, and has been for a while because he knows who he is, he knows what he's trying to get out of his players. It doesn't always work um, because the players he has are more limited than many others in the Bundesliga, but I'm not in the business of, of thinking that they're going to get relegated uh, because, uh, as, as I said, I think Streich gives them an advantage over the competition and I think the, um, the, the club structure gives them an advantage over the competition too. Manu, and if I ask you to just cast an eye um, downwards into the league below, into the Zwei Bundesliga, is it Hamburg's time to come back this season, Hamburg s Val? Are they going to finally get themselves back? Is the Dino going to rise from extinction? Or um, do you see any of the sides that were demoted coming straight back? And um, as I'm going to ask so many questions in one, I might as well end it with, can you see Heidenheim finally getting their chance under Frank Schmidt to, um, to get into the top division? Heidenheim or uh, Freiburg too, right? Um I think that Hamburg are going to go back up and I think Stuttgart are going to join them. And I think Hannover are going to pull a Hamburg, um, Hamburg as of Hamburg last year. And um, they will have to cycle through another season of Bundesliga 2. They have not started well at all into the Bundesliga 2 season. And I think that the third place team, you know, that's that's. Derek, you follow the Bundesliga too quite a bit as well. And it's 
this third place, I mean, it's sometimes it's just such a free fall in that second division. I think it's the best second division in the world, um, competitiveness wise, and probably also level of play. Um, financially, it's probably very close as well because it's only 18 teams, right? So getting out of that league is can be very difficult. Hamburg noticed this last year, and I think, um, although I do think that Stuttgart, Stuttgart are strong enough to go straight up, and I think that Hamburg have enough this year to go up, it's not easy at all. No, and, and we saw that last season, didn't we? And we saw, you know, what a crazy fight it was towards the end of the campaign, mm-hmm. uh, and they could all beat each other. Uh, it's a good point that you make. I mean, it's the um, it's the best attended on the basis of average attendance, second division in the world. And, and you know, people who follow the championship in England say, well, that can't be right. You know, we, we're always hearing about how great the championship is in England. Well, no, the zweite Bundesliga in Germany outdoes the championship in England, has done for a number of years based on average attendance uh, per game. And um, obviously it's helped by the fact you have these gargantuan clubs uh, currently, Stuttgart, Hannover, Hamburg, Nuremberg in there, Köln last season. Um, I, I, I sort of go along with what you're saying, Manu. I, I think Stuttgart will come back. Uh, I think Hamburg will come back. I actually like what I've seen from Hamburg in the early going. Um, the first game against Darmstadt, they needed all their time, but I thought they deserved the, uh, the point that they got. And um, I, I just think that the decisions they've made this summer have been a lot better. I think there was a lot of panic in the air last year and they never looked mentally right for promotion. I think if they had um, if they'd ended up in the, the relegation playoff, I don't think they'd have had the mental fortitude that Union um, showed in, the, in those two games. Um, as for somebody else coming through, I'm not sure that Heidenheim this time round will. Um, I, I don't have an awful lot of confidence, though, in, in Nuremberg and Hannover. And mm-hmm. uh, I thought Hannover looked very brittle against Jan Regensburg in their last match, uh, where they drew. Um, but whether one of the others can come through, somebody like uh, like Arminia Bielefeld or Bochum, not sure over the course of the season. So, um, so I would have thought Stuttgart and Hamburg, and then one of the other big two, uh, eventually finishing in thirds. You know, possibly Nuremberg, but that's a difficult call. Well, that's. Pretty much it. I think we've reached the end of of our um, season preview. Um, has there been anything over the last hour, Derek, that has made you reconsider the proposition of Bayern Munich winning their eighth title, or is that the team to beat again for you this season? Well, I'm I'm sort of doubting myself um, on a daily basis with that uh, prognostication, and I might look very silly come the end of the season, but I'm going to stick with it because. I do think that, as I said, that is the default position, that Bayern have been the class of the field. And it's up to Dortmund to show that they can knock them off their perch. And, and it, it's entirely possible that they will. But uh, I'm, I'm sticking with Bayern München for now. Uh, Manu, are you going to change your mind or are you um, in the Bavarian camp with Derek? I'm sticking with what I predicted. OK, well, um, I obviously, if I want to go and see my friends in Dortmund, I uh, will go a little <laughs> bit differently. Um, if I want to stay anywhere on match day four, um, apart from on the street, um, I am going to tip Borussia Dortmund to win the league. Um, and, and that, I think, is it from the three of us um, this week for this particular preseason pod. Um, Derek, thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, if anybody doesn't follow you on social media, uh, more fool them for a start. And how can they rectify this massive error of theirs? Where can they find you? 
<laughs> well, hopefully I wouldn't bore them too much on social media, but I suppose there's every chance. No, on, on Twitter, I try to tweet as often as I can, particularly about uh, the Bundesliga. You can find me at Raycom, at R-A-E-C-O-M-M. Derek, thank you very much. Um, Manu, what have you got coming up this week? Um, I'd like to get in very quickly that I'm going to Germany to watch Union Berlin on Sunday morning. I wanted to get that in to make you jealous. Thanks. Yeah, I'm definitely jealous. I get to see the glorious Vancouver Whitecaps lose another game on Saturday night. So you definitely win. Um, <laughs> other than that, I mean, the Bundesliga previews, um, they're going to come out usual time, end of the week. We have some Europa League Champions League action on the Football Ground Network. Um, there is an article, two articles coming out on Forbes. Um so stay tuned on that. And then actually I'm doing a Bundesliga American-centric preview for Pro Soccer USA. Um, that will be out later this week as well. So yeah, as usual, Chris, lots and lots of content. There is lots of content. Now, I think Derek thinks he's got away without one final question, but I do have one final question and it's just either a one or two word answer. Derek, mm. please. Um, you are a man that goes across the Atlantic. You transatlantic, Derek, flying back into... I want you to imagine that you're late for a very important meeting and there's an overzealous immigration official who won't let you into Germany until you tell him what is the best ground in the Bundesliga. The Zignali Duna Park. There we go, Borussia Dortmund fans. The voice of the Bundesliga says that your ground is the best in German football. And I think on that particular note, all it leaves me to say is Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.